From the Medical Republic, I'm Francine Crimmins. This is The Tea Room. Australia's largest state emerged from a three-month lockdown two weeks ago, and many punters assumed that while vaccination against the deadly COVID virus would protect the public against a number of hospitalizations and deaths, that there would ultimately be a surge in new infections. But now, Sydney ciders have been back out and about, drinking indoors at the pubs, socialising at dinner parties, and even heading back into the office. And as for the base numbers, well, they've actually trended downwards now for just over two weeks. To explain some of the discrepancy between the real-life experience New South Wales is facing at the moment and the modelling that was projected just before opening up, we're joined on the tea room by Professor Jamie Trickus, a medical microbiologist at the Sydney Institute for Infectious Diseases. Thanks for joining us, Jamie. Oh, thanks, Francine. Thanks for having me. So if we rewind to just over two weeks ago, the Sunday night before New South Wales was bracing to come out of its 100-day lockdown, what were the predictions at play for how new cases of COVID might interact with the number of individuals who would suddenly be moving around and mixing together while presumably, or we hope, were also fully vaccinated? Yeah, sure. Look, I think there was an assumption that... um at some point you would start to see cases rise and that's really on the on the basis that this is a, a highly transmissible virus we certainly know that the delta variant compared to the the previous uh, alpha variant that sort of played havoc in the in the UK earlier in the year and then the original what we call the ancestral or wuhan strain that we saw in in australia last year the delta variant is much more infectious so there's no doubt that the assumption is as as people start to mix, you would you would see greater transmission. Of course, in the background of that, we do have, a, a, I think, an excellent level of vaccine coverage, uh, certainly here in New South Wales. But we do know from, uh, I guess, real world examples and other studies that vaccination is not necessarily stopping all transmission. So vaccination has been uh, fantastic at reducing uh, severe infection, hospitalizations and deaths, but you you still get transmission. So the assumption would be that you would see incre- an increase in cases. I think it's probably um, a little bit early. Uh, I guess we're maybe two weeks or so after that opening to see a, a big difference. And I think we probably need to, to keep an eye on what happens over the next few weeks um, in New South Wales. I guess the one thing I'll add to that, though, is that there is a there is a level of of uh, unpredictability for this virus. So even we've seen in countries where they've had excellent vaccine coverage, um, you would anticipate you wouldn't see a large spike. You see a spike. You still see that reduction in in severe infections. Other countries which maybe don't have as great a vaccine coverage, their cases have gone up and come down quite quickly. So. It's it's really hard to get to get an absolute handle on things, um, and this of course makes a problem to to make pre- a problem to make predictions too far out. So I guess that's where we're at, we are at the moment, just waiting to see. So initially, the prediction I believe was that New South Wales, once we opened up, and you know maybe we're still yet to see this, that there would be around two thousand cases a day and possibly more deaths on a weekly basis than we're seeing at the moment. What are the factors which you think have played out that have accounted for some of these discrepancies so far between the modelling and what we're seeing in real time? Yeah, I think the first thing to say is that 
there's a few different modeling scenarios. So that was one that was one um, outcome, maybe a little bit more on the extreme in terms of numbers, but but it was a prediction. Um, I, I think that I think there's two main factors. I, I, I think the first one is is that in those models, a lot of those models were using figures that because the modeling was done, let's say a month or a couple of months ago. Um, and they were using numbers in terms of how effective we think the vaccines are, um, where the data was was maybe from a few months ago. And that's perfectly valid because many of the models do that because they use the data at the time. I think the, the more recent data that's come out very recently from around different countries have shown that the effectiveness of the vaccines and certainly in terms of reducing uh, hospitalisation is very high up around you know, 95 in some cases approaching 100%, and also a, a good a good capacity to reduce cases. But, you know, keeping in mind, as I mentioned, it's a very difficult virus to stop entirely from transmission. So I think that's one thing. We probably are seeing really good uh, impact here locally of, of, for the vaccines based on what we've seen in other countries. Um, the other thing is this concept that we sort of call protection in in real time, and and this is a um, situation where we what we think is happening is because we're vaccinating here in New South Wales at the moment, we're sort of seeing the maximal effect of the vaccination because we do know that the vaccines do wear off over a period of time, and I guess that's something we might talk about in in some upcoming questions. So we have, um, you know, pretty recent immunity here in New South Wales. We probably have optimal immunity for people who are vaccinated and then, you know, a, a couple of weeks after their second dose is probably when you, you probably have the maximum level of immunity. Um, I will say in that, however, I probably think the ideal scenario would have been where we hit our vaccination targets a bit earlier because then we would have ensured that most people would have had maximal uh, immunity to the virus before Delta hit us or before the early stages of Delta virus. So we were playing catch up to some extent in terms of rolling out the vaccines. But I think the fact that we were able to do it so quickly meant that we were able to see those, certainly the number of severe infections come down, um, you know, quite appreciably in in New South Wales. So our hospitalisation rates, for example, are, um, are dropping quite significantly now. So you were talking about how Australia and particularly New South Wales has played out a rather unique experiment of offering protection for individuals against this disease in real time while they were still in lockdown. Obviously, it would have been more ideal if this was done before Delta hit, as you were saying. But how is that still different to what we've seen overseas in terms of them trying to vaccinate while they're all out and about and living with disease? Uh, the original strain and also possibly Delta at the same time. Yeah, look, I think the best, the probably the best comparisons to make are where you have those extremes. So if you look at you know a country, I guess that was sort of hailed for their vaccine rollout and, and rightly so was uh, Israel that that vaccinated quite early. So they they started February, I guess, of this year and. Um, but by March, they'd vaccinated a, you know, a reasonably large proportion of their population. Uh, so many of the individuals in Israel, and particularly the ones who were maybe at more uh, risk, who were the older age groups who were vaccinated early, 
um, they were vaccinated six, seven months before they had a, a Delta wave. And what we saw in Israel was quite a severe in increase in cases, but also an increase in hospitalizations and deaths, um, which is very different to some of the other countries who maybe had a more, uh, I guess, progressive rollout where they didn't have a, a, a massive increase in, in vaccination early on. Now, of course, you can't criticise Israel because that, that is the best way you do it. You vaccinate as many people as possible. But at that point, we didn't really know how the vaccines would work over time and we didn't know how the vaccines would work in the face of Delta. And what has become quite apparent, and there's many studies now that have looked at this, is that the, the efficacy of the vac of vaccination does drop over time. It's sometimes hard to determine that because often when you look at waning vaccine immunity, you're also looking at the period where Delta wasn't around and then Delta appeared. And that tends to make the vaccines look worse in terms of, of how they work in protecting against infection. So certainly those, those countries that, are vac that vaccinated really early and then had a bit of a plateau. So again, it was considered that Israel was fantastic. They vaccinated a lot of people. They vaccinated a lot of people, but then they sort of stagnated at around you know, 65% of the total population vaccinated. So they still had a large proportion of individuals who were unvaccinated when they were confronted by, with Delta. And that um, sort of accentuated the, the increase in cases because you had infections in people who were unvaccinated and you also had, and of course, severe infection. And then you also had the impact of waning immunity. Um, again, other countries are a bit confusing. You know, you look at the UK, I mean, they vaccinated early as well, a little bit more staggered. Um, they, are, they are sitting at around 35,000, 40,000 cases per day and, and they're just not getting a handle on that. But their society is completely open, really. Large gatherings, uh, large crowds in football stadiums, for example. Um, I think in New South Wales, uh, I'm pretty encouraged by the sense that People are pretty compliant. You know, I, I live in an area which was sort of an area of concern and an LGA of concern and, and there's still a lot of mask wearing, even outdoors when you don't necessarily have to. Um, a lot of compliance with wearing masks indoors. I think people are, you know, are very compliant here and, and I think that will, that will help us. But obviously as we open more, we would anticipate that we would get more transmission but hopefully you know our sort of good excellent vaccination rates will will offset that and could it be that australia could be seeing these greater rewards for high vaccination in terms of ongoing disease control because the disease was never circulating in our communities in the first place in the same manner that it was overseas you know in in some ways the baseline for our international experiment is quite different here in new south wales compared to what we're seeing in the UK and even Israel? Yeah, it's a good question. There's, there's, clearly, there's clearly things at play that are, that are unrelated to, to the virus and even sort of aspects of human behaviour. I mean, there's things, I guess, climate, population density. Um, I mean, there's, there's probably other things at play that, that may have um, shielded us a little bit from the sort of large outbreaks that were seen in other countries. And, you know, we had a pretty <laughs> proud history of 
of being COVID free for quite some time. But even when we did have outbreaks um, last year, we got them under control pretty quickly. And I guess using using mechanisms that other countries use, but when I weren't able to do it as well. So I think there's something intrinsic to to certain countries that just allow um, outbreaks to be controlled a little bit better. And of course, that's that's also on top of the fact that, you know, we have good compliance, typically good compliance to to the rules that are put in put in place, um, strong healthcare systems, yeah, we're good at tracking uh, tracking infections and and mapping them. Um, in terms of other countries that had other waves, I mean, there's there's a couple of arguments. You could argue that countries where they saw previous infections may have had some level of sort of background immunity in the in the population that would protect them to some extent. That hasn't really been borne out. I mean, you would have thought that the UK that had uh, massive spike in infections earlier this year with with the sort of alpha or the UK variant that would have given them a, a sort of a good background level of protection. Maybe doesn't look like that's the case. It's it's very hard to tell. And and on the same argument, you could say that um, that in that sort of spike in infections was at the beginning of the year, and and maybe any impact of that has has worn off as those individuals had waning immunity. I guess, and the other sort of counter to that is that you know, being previously infected is is not the way that you want to develop immunity because the risks from infection are, are huge. You know, the, the, clearly the risk of death uh, and then all these complications, long COVID, other complications that come with that. So, um, but it is thought that may that, that may have some impact, large amounts of infe- infections in the community, but sort of the evidence is showing that it may not be the case. You know, Iran, for example, has had five or six waves of, of, of COVID um, in areas where a lot of people were previously infected and then they're getting infected again. So um, I guess there's still a lot to learn about immunity and waning immunity and, and, and the best way to ensure that we protect people to the, to the greatest extent. And in that way, in terms of looking at waning immunity, there's been discussion whether Australia should be already planning booster shots for the general population to avoid breakthrough infection. Do you think that we're at that point yet, or is it a bit far fetched at this point? Um, I, look, I don't, I don't think we're there yet. I think, I think certainly, and and this has been the recommendation. I think certainly in individuals who are. Um, Certain risk groups, you know, particularly immunocompromised individuals, where their response to the first two shots of the vaccine is much lower to, I guess, general population who who are not immunocompromised. So that booster, if you call it a booster or that third shot, is really for those individuals a catch up to boost their immunity to a level that you know we would hope or we think is is protective. I think the you know the evidence that pre- we talk about five six months the evidence the protection wanes at five to six months that that's pretty evident in the in in a number of studies that now that have looked in different countries that's that's protection against sort of all infections um, the protection against severe infection hospitalization which really I think is the is the main goal of the vaccine do you want to stop people getting really sick 
Um, if you can't stop people get contracting it, you just want to stop them from getting very sick if they do contract it. That's held up pretty well after after six months. It's still very high for, for certainly the vaccines we're using in Australia. So I think that um, it is a discussion we need to have. Maybe it's a little bit premature here. Uh, the most critical thing is to get everybody vaccinated with with their full sort of two doses. I think that's the first thing. I think, you know, those of us who work in sort of global health would say, well, you know, globally for everybody and if we want to protect as many people in the world and if we want to move around internationally and travel, the most important thing is to roll out the vaccines to those areas of the world where they don't have them um, before we start giving you know, multiple additional shots to to people who are already protected to some extent. Uh, and so that's an argument. You know, there's 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 arguments, I guess, you know, for, for those sort of different different outcomes. But I think that what we what we should be looking at as a priority in a, in in Australia are immunocompromised, um, and then those individuals who are at risk who are more in the elderly age groups, who are at higher risk of getting infection, whose immunity will wane more because that's just something we see with in the, in the older age groups, that the waning of immunity is greater, and who were vaccinated earlier because, remember, these, these people who are at risk were vaccinated early on because they were the ones who were um, exposed to the virus. And you could also add in, of course, sort of frontline healthcare workers there. So... I think we should be looking at priority groups for boosting individuals who um, are at a greater risk of becoming infected. But I think maybe, you know, generally in Australia, it's probably a bit early to to think about rolling out a global booster program. I think it'll be staggered um, and I'd certainly like to see a lot more progress made on on vaccinating you know people globally you know in Africa I think it's only 5 or 6% of people in Africa who are vaccinated which is you know ridiculously small and there's many other barriers there that we probably won't have time to talk about but yeah Professor Jamie Triggers thank you for your time Thank you thanks very much Francine The Tea Room is brought to you by the reporters at the Medical Republic. Production assistance, the music and artwork for the show is produced by Victoria Nelson. Catch you next time.